Please turn with me to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. This is the passage that we'll be looking into this afternoon. And if you do not have a Bible with you, please raise your hands and one of the ushers will bring a Bible for you. As we look into the Psalms in general, they function as a mirror into our souls. They reflect back the true state of the soul, our human fallenness, our sinfulness, our weaknesses, they are all there on display in the Psalms. And when we pray them, read them, and meditate upon them, we recognize our true condition, our true state. They diagnose our spiritual illness. This is why we have so many penitential psalms, psalms of repentance. And that is why we read those and meditate those psalms so that we can learn how we can turn to God in repentance. Psalm 51 is a famous example of that. But psalms, they don't just show our sinfulness. They also give us the remedies to these things. They give us God's cure. The psalm, in that sense, has gospel in it. And in Psalm 112, we will see the wisdom of God. And this is mainly because through the psalms, God shows often his steadfast love, his grace, his mercy towards us. So the Psalms are gospel-centered. They ought to be gospel-centered because it is through the gospel we can live by faith, but, but, but not our own, own. Now, as we look at the Psalm, this is a great companion to Psalm 111, just a chapter before the Psalm. Structurally, from a literary point of view, they are in exact same length. Psalm 111 presents to us God it paints a portrait of God. It celebrates His righteousness, His mercy, especially in creation and His great work of redemption. So we see in Psalm 111, a portrait of God. And in Psalm 112, on the other hand, gives us the portrait of the upright man. Portrait of a godly man. And given the fact that they look the same from the literary point of view, and if you read them side by side, you will find all kinds of parallel phrases and words and expressions. And simply put, the righteous man looks like God. We have God in Psalm 111, and in Psalm 112, we have the image of God. And both Psalms begin with an exhortation to Praise, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Just as how in Psalm 111 we see praise the Lord because of his great works and righteousness and mercy and grace, Psalm 112 is also a cause to praise God. We praise the Lord because of the life of a godly man who reflects the very graciousness, righteousness, and mercy of God. This is also the reason to praise God, because he is in the image of God, he gives glory to God. So it is not only a reason to praise God when we see a righteous man, we can also learn how a righteous man looks like, or how does he live. This psalm teaches us, it instructs us when we see this psalm. We see the portrait of a righteous man, and that instructs that this is what we should look like. This is what should characterize us. So let us look at Psalm 112. Hear now the living and abiding word of God. 
Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and his horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Amen. The first thing, as we look at this psalm, what we should be learning is that there is a blessedness in being upright or righteous because a God-fearing man, he delights in his commandments. That is the first main thing we will see. If we don't understand that the fear of the Lord and delighting in his commandments, we don't need to move on to verses 2 to the end. And once we figure that out, the psalm does not go on, I think it gives us six blessings of a righteous man. So first we will consider the blessed state of a godly man in his fear of the Lord and delighting in his commandments. Now let's look at the first description of this godly person. The psalm begins with this beatitude, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The psalmist commends by commending the godliness of this man. If you want the blessing of God, it falls on the man who fears him. Godliness and blessing are always linked in scripture. To fear the Lord is to be truly blessed. And the psalm lists the blessings for us. We are promised mighty offspring, wealth and riches, and righteousness that endures forever. The light will shine upon us in the darkness, that we can have security and confidence in the midst of sorrow and suffering. That we can see victory over our enemies and exaltation of our honor. These are all the blessings, but they are promised to a man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. Now, what does this mean? To fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord means to have a reverent, obedient adoration for God. The fear of the Lord means to have a reverent, obedient adoration for God. And I think in some, even in Psalm 111 verse 9, we can see that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And I think even Psalm 2 captures this and describes that such person, a person who fears the Lord, serves the Lord with fear and rejoices with trembling. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 11 of the Psalms. It says, a man who fears the Lord, he rejoices with trembling. 
The fear of the Lord is to be awestruck. It's to, it's, it is to adore. It is to love. It is to obey. And it is to revere. But fear doesn't mean that we serve God as terrified slaves. And this is what we see even in this verse. Fear the Lord, yes, and delight in His commandments. So there is a delight, there is a rejoicing, there is gladness that comes with the fear of the Lord. So when we read His commandments, it is not going to be like, oh, okay, now I have to obey God. Like this teenager who is asked to clean his room and he responds, now do I have to do that? That's not the response of the Christian towards God's commandments. The response is that of delight. Oh, I get to do that? This is so cool. I get to serve the Lord. It is not an obligation. But we, but we aspire to live in faithful obedience to God's commandments. There's delighting in God. Charles Spurgeon puts it in this way. There will be three effects of nearness to Jesus. Humility, happiness, and holiness. But before we go any further, we need to ask ourselves, where does this fear come from? Where does this delight come from? What is the source? Is this something we just muster up ourselves? Okay, from today, I'm going to fear God and have a reverent attitude and adoration, and I will delight in His commandments. Is that how it works? I don't think so. And that's because the Psalms must be read in the light of the gospel, because the gospel is the source of this fear and this delight. Isaiah writes that we are unclean, and even our righteousness that seems good to us are like filthy rags in the sight of God. We are all unclean. And Paul, quoting from the few of the Psalms, summarizes the condition of mankind in this way. If you can turn with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. This will help us as we look carefully and think about what does this fear looks like and what does it does not look like. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of the peace they have not known. And look at verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is so much contrast to this godly man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. And how can he do that? Unless he is born again. Listen to the godly, how Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. But the godly are washed, they are sanctified and justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
This is the gospel where we are cleansed, justified, sanctified. Yes, we are not righteous, but we are justified, made righteous because of the perfect righteousness of Christ. This is what happened on the cross. Jesus took our sin. He took our filthy rags. He took our unrighteous deeds and through his shed blood and he cleansed them and we are now clothed with this clean royal garments. And he is raised on the third day for our justification and risen, resurrected Christ offers us these clean garments. And there is more to that. Paul says that whoever is clothed in righteousness, he is a new creation. That means, as we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, we have a new heart. God will remove the heart of stone and he will give the heart of flesh. It is from that new heart we will fear the Lord and delight in his commandments. It is from that new heart, by the Spirit, we will have a new delight to God's word. Listen to what prophet Jeremiah says. It, it is God speaking through prophet Jeremiah. Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 37. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And this is a wonderful statement of God's covenant here. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And you see that? And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. God promises by his spirit a new heart, and when he gives us that new heart by his spirit, he plants in us that fear of him. This is the source of our delight and our fear. It is because in verse 41, God will rejoice in doing them good. He will plant us in this land in faithfulness with all his heart and all his soul. He loves us with his whole heart and mind and strength. And because of this, we can with reverence delight in his commandments and live a life of obedience. You see, this to be a God-fearing Christian is not our own doing. The fear of God is not something we can achieve on our own strength. It is God's gift to us. So we have to see this psalm in light of this gospel. And without clothed in righteousness of Christ, our pursuit of understanding the rest of the psalm will seem futile. So put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be made new. 
And if you want true blessings, believe in Jesus, who was the perfect display of the ultimate godly man. And in him, we can be called godly. Friends, if you're here and you don't know this Jesus, please come and talk to us. We'd be happy to help us see Jesus better. Now, this God-fearing man lives a life with a reverent, obedient adoration for God, and he greatly delights in the revealed word of God. There is great pleasure, great enjoyment in God's commandments, his authoritative directives, which is to say, this is not theoretical student of scripture. This man is not someone who is studying just for his mind. This is someone who is studying to obey it. He delights in God's commands. He studies the word of God to live, to do it. One pastor says, the psalm reminds us that the happy man is a holy man. A satisfied person is a sanctified person. The blessed person is an obedient person. Friends, happiness is not found following your own heart and doing what you feel like doing. This is not a happy, blessed life. True blessedness and fullness of life is found in pursuing God's ways. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed is the man who greatly delights in his commandments. Because this man is blessed. He's happy, joyful, full of hope. Now, we often hear people say, stay blessed always. And if that stay blessed always has nothing to do with fearing the Lord and delighting in his word and a desire to obey God, then it is not a true state of being blessed. True blessing is being reconciled to God and by faith in reverence and awe, obeying God and walking by faith. So let me ask you this. Are you a man who is blessed in this way? Are you reconciled to God? Are you a God-fearing Christian? And now, in light of that, we see that this God-fearing man who delights in God's word, we see that he receives many blessings from God. The Lord has delivered him, saved him, brought him into the truth. But now he has commanded this man in the way which he is to walk. And as he walks the path, the way these grace, these riches, these blessings just increase in this man's life. His joy, his happiness, his wholeness is found in the way of obedience. We read that wealth and riches are in his house, that he deals generously and he lends that he distributes freely to the poor. These are the blessings a blessed man received from God, receives from God. What kind of life is found in holiness? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Do you see the two aspects godliness holds promise to the Christian? It is for the moment and also for the life to come. This means the way of a God-fearing Christian is the way for the now and for eternity. 
Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Happy is the man. Full is the man who fears the Lord. Give praise to God for such a blessed man. Because this is the story of God's salvation for each one of us. So now we will look at what are the blessings of this godly man. We say that a God-fearing man is blessed by God. And how is he blessed? This is what we will see for the rest of our time. The blessings of this truly blessed man, one we can see is that godliness leaves a true heritage. Verse 2, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The first blessing of godliness is to do with influence. The influence of a such person on future generations. A man who is obedient to God and who is given children and grandchildren, he leaves a lasting impression and influence on their lives. And that is something godly people care about. We care about God's glory, not only in our lives, but in the life of our offspring. This is a general observation. This, does not, this verse does not teach that every person who is truly godly, all of their children will embrace their faith. And that every one of their children will walk in their ways. Over in Proverbs, it says, if you train up a child in his way, he will not depart from it. And there are these indications that righteous, godly people are going to have noble, mighty, good offspring. I don't think that this is a guarantee, but I think this is the way things normally work. Normally, godly, good parents have godly, good children. I think it is important to understand when you're dealing with wisdom literature like the Psalms or the Proverbs, they are not promises. These general blessings are not promising that every single child of the godly will always turn out to be moral citizens. This is not the promise, and it is not suggesting that if a child is disobedient, it is always the fault of the parents. His offspring, generation of the upright, will be breast. And do you know why? Because God-fearing Christian, in obedience to God, he works really hard to train his children in the instruction of God's word. He prays for them. He teaches them. He prays for their salvation. He teaches for their salvation. Godly people set an example for their children and their grandchildren. So the godly people leave lasting memories of the love for God and love for other people in the minds of their children and their grandchildren. So that even when offspring don't walk in those footsteps, they will never be able to escape the impact and the influence of their example. After God himself, the godly person concern is to raise his children in godliness. He wants that godliness to be passed on. He wants that to continue in the next generation. Like Job, he is concerned that they should follow his footsteps by being an upright generation and be of good influence in the land. And when he talks about being mighty, that word is not talking about physical strength. But it is similar to the greatness that is promised to Abraham and his descendants. There will just be a strength about these people who follow the Lord. There is a kind of strength that allows them to stand upright in this wicked world. Now parents, do you aspire for this primarily in your children's lives? How is your faithfulness in this area? Do you pursue your children? 
train them, instruct them, and do you really work hard at addressing their heart issues? Pursuing that is true blessing for us. And the same thing is with the wealth and riches. This is the second blessing. Godliness makes use of temporal blessings. Psalm 112 verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. This isn't the verse that promises guaranteed prosperity to every individual who is godly. It certainly doesn't mean that the wealth that the God provides is for living in luxury and self-indulgence. In this very psalm, we don't have to read very far for that, uh, that of the characteristic of the person who fears the Lord is the one who doesn't fear bad news. And he deals with his adversaries. In verse 4, the light dawns in the darkness for the upright. And that lets us know that they receive bad news in their life just like everybody else. There are times of darkness in their life, just like anybody else. They have people in their lives who are their adversaries, enemies who work against them just as everybody else. Sometimes that bad news, even for a godly man, is the loss of wealth. And sometimes that bad news is the loss of children, like Job. But the rest of the verse helps us understand the blessing of wealth and riches better. It says that his righteousness endures forever. Meaning, his righteousness is put on display when he uses his wealth and riches of this world for good works. And the works on the earth have an enduring nature. They are established forever. When a godly man uses his richer to invest in the kingdom of God, they have a lasting effect. And I say that because even um, as you see in verse 3 of Psalm 111, just work with me here, Psalm 111 verse 3, it says, Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. This is said about God. So just as the work of God has a lasting effect on this earth, when God entrusts the wealth and riches to man, and when he uses that wealth and riches for godly use, his works of righteousness have a lasting effect. Friends, what do you do with your material things? Think for a moment. Does it reflect that you are a godly person? What the Lord has put into your hands in the way of wealth and riches? Are you putting it to work for the glory of God and the good of others? Are you treasuring riches in heaven, which is everlasting, compared to the riches of this world? How do you give? Do you give generously to the needs of our church? Or is it just an obligation? So the godly will be able to bless their offspring and have the financial ability to honor God with the wealth that God has given them, and they will be able to serve others. And the third way, this man, his blessing, godliness reflects the character of God. Let's look at verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious 
merciful and righteous. Now the darkness, it might refer to the trouble in his own life. There is going to be times of darkness even in the life of the godly. Maybe it might even mean a moral decline in the society. That he at times is in the midst of darkness. But whichever it is, godly man continues to live graciously, mercifully, and righteously. The very characteristics of God himself that are described in Psalm, 11, Psalm 111, light dawns for his, this man. That may mean in the midst of darkness, this man knows light. Even in the midst of trying circumstances, God blesses this man with the light for his feet. For here of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is given the wisdom from God, truth from God, and he knows where to go in darkness. Or the Lord rescues him from darkness. The Lord blesses him even in the dark circumstances, and he delivers him. Light dawns for him in the darkness. And not only he finds light, he is rescued or delivered, but soon on top of that, he is gracious and merciful. In times of trouble, God makes the godly to deny themselves and help others, be an instrument of God's grace, mercy, and compassion. Just this past week, Pastor Will came back from Dehuk, as you all know, and he was sharing how Christians were going to Iraq during the time of crisis because of ISIS in Iraq. When everyone else were trying to flee to safety, in times of darkness, the godly are the ones who rise with the light, the light of God, the help of God by the grace of God. They are like the light to others in dark times. They are an encouragement for godly people. They are an example when others are hurting because he is gracious, he is merciful and righteous. One commentator says, like the moon reflecting the light of the sun, the God-fearing Christian is passing on the effects of God's blessing in his own life. Friends, now think for a moment, are you like that? When others are walking through their dark moments, are you passing on to them the blessings of God to their lives? Are you an encouragement to them? Are you gracious to them? Are you merciful to them? Do you pray for them earnestly? And fourthly, godliness produces a life that is trustworthy. Verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice. He deals generously. He lends, the verse says. And in all of his affairs, there is a character of justice. He does what is just and right. We can say this, he treats other people in an upright manner. So he's generous, and when he lends it, it is a generous lending. The context of this lending was that you are not supposed to lend it for interest in the Old Testament times. So he cares about the person whom he lends to. He is generous and he wouldn't take advantage of them. And when he lends, he does that so with justice, even when he's in the position of being a lender. The person is safe in his hands because, of this, because this is a man of integrity. 
He's generous and he's kind. The godly person will often in their life be blessed in a very physical way with godly children, blessed with riches, but many times that isn't the case. But friends, do you consider to give to the benevolence offering that is set on every first Sunday of the month? Or even that doesn't come to your mind. How is your care and love for your brothers and sisters who are having financial difficulty? And the fifth blessing that we see is this, uh, in this man is that godliness brings stability. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. You notice twice there is a reference to fear. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. Verse 8, he will not be afraid. This man doesn't live in fear. He is stable and in, in his influence. Verse 6, he will be remembered forever. He is stable in his trust towards God. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. He is stable even in the face of human enemies. His heart is steady and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. This part unnerves us, right? When we face enemies, when we face human opposition, when we are in front of computers and chatting with people on Facebook or Twitter, we are lions in faith. We can chat and quote and defend and refer to sources to win the battle of words. But when we say, face the same adversaries face to face, that is when we are the most uncomfortable and timid. And yet here, we see a man who is saturated with Scripture because he is walking in the commandments of God, because, because he is a man who genuinely loves God and trusts God. He is not living his life out of fear. Is godliness a benefit in the present time? Absolutely. To have a heart that is not afraid, and then the last blessing of this man we see in verse 9 is that godliness results in a well-spent life. Verse 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn is exalted in honor. Verse 9 gathers some of the things that we have already seen in the previous verses. This man is generous. He's compassionate. His influence will soon be not forgotten. And this is the man whose family is blessed. His horn is exalted in honor. Honorable men leave behind a track record that is honorable. In the midst of all of it, in the midst of the trials, even as described in verses 6 to 8, he never stops doing good to those around him. When bad things happen to us, our natural tendency, our natural tendency when something bad happens to us is to th start thinking of who? We start thinking of self. But the godly person continues to care for the needs of others even when he himself is suffering. He maintains his generosity even in the midst of that. In other words, he has not wasted his life. And the end of his life, it is a life that is well spent. I wonder, will this be you? Can we praise God 
for such a life? My friends, this is a life of a godly person as described in the psalm. It is certainly not everything that it says about being godly, but it is certainly a good measure to assess ourselves. And the psalmist leaves this with a final option. He gives a contrast. This, I think, we see in verse 10. If we don't count ourselves godly, the only other group you can count yourself is among the wicked. There is a stark contrast here, very similar to Psalm 1, the two ways of life, the way of the godly and the way of the wicked. Look at the contrast in verse 9. The godly distributes freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and his horn is exalted forever. But the wicked, what does he do? Verse 10, he sees it and is angry. Rather than thinking, I want to receive the blessings of God, you see, he's angry. He gnashes his teeth and he melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. In the end, the wicked will perish. The one who rejects the fear of the Lord ends up being miserable and he will perish forever. So friend, are you a God-fearing Christian? If you're not, your life will, might seem okay for this present age, but you will have no hope of the future. So let's pray now that we will be able to be who, people who will fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. Let's pray that we will be people who will not fear God for the sake of it and force ourselves to delight in God but that we would delight in obeying and doing the will of God just as our Lord and Savior Jesus did. He is the ultimate and greatest example of how to be godly in this world. So let us have a mind of Christ and ask God for grace to live godly, holy lives in this earth so that we would honor Him and we would pursue good godliness, and we would also serve others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your mercy and grace, and we thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus, in whom we see that we are righteous, we are made holy. And thank you, Lord, for counting us righteous even though when we fall and fail in many times. And we pray that, Lord, that even today you would fill our hearts with this reverent obedience to your word. And may we pursue godliness in our lives. And as we do that, Lord, may we be found faithful till the day that you come. And may we serve others just as how Christ has served us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.